Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The Israel Defense Forces changes its top leader every four years. The current chief, Lieutenant General Aviv Kochavi, is due to retire at the turn of the year and is already preparing his end-of-tour report by testing his forces through a month-long exercise, namely chariots of fire, held not only in Israel but also above the Mediterranean, in the Red Sea, and in a complex special forces simulation in Cyprus. Meanwhile, Israel's military, security and police forces kept their counter-terror pressure on hotbeds of hostile activity in the West Bank and elsewhere. So while lessons learned in chariots of fire are being collected and digested, what is the net balance of Israel's security in late spring or early summer of 2022? Joining us from central Israel to deliberate this matter are both Major General in Reserve Gilshon HaKohen, who is an IDF Army Corps commander. Thank you for joining us, General. Good evening. Also joining us from elsewhere in central Israel is retired Brigadier General Relik Shafir, who is a former IAF Telnov commander. Thank you for joining us as well, General. Good evening. And with us here in the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large, host of Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oh, And Amir, give us a broader um, overview, if you will, of the current state of, of play of the IDF, the Israeli defense establishment, but particularly the military. So obviously the uh, exercise was planned as a freeze-frame situation uh, report of uh, how the uh, IDF shapes up right now and um, as uh, a means of uh, flexing its muscle uh, in order to be ready for uh, any contingency. Now, usually the uh, names uh, uh, computers or operations divisions give exercises are quite meaningless. But this time around, obviously, there was uh, some intention behind the name because uh, most um, uh, operations, most campaigns that the IDF has undertaken lately were only fire without the chariots. Chariot being Merkava, the Israeli-made uh, tank, which Gershon Cohen uh, commanded, uh, among uh, other forces. So it is, uh, uh, of course one of uh, the IDF's uh, intentions to show its own troops, the Israeli population, and um, various enemies that uh, the next time around, uh, one of its uh, armored divisions, and perhaps more, could very well take uh, um, some of uh, the role which up to now was given only to the Air Force, artillery, missiles, Navy, and the intelligence uh, corps. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, the uh, uh, Israeli um, Airborne Division, Division 98, uh, took part uh, in an exercise in Cyprus. It is uh, quite ironic because one of Israel's most um, heroic, uh, though probably uh, unnecessary, uh, battles was in 1956 uh, at the Mitla Pass in uh, the Sinai. And the code word for Mitla 
was Cyprus at the time. It was considered so beyond the pale <laughs> that uh, the name Cyprus was used uh, for uh, an objective. So all in all, yes, uh, the, our distinguished guests, the generals, um, will of course uh, give their views, but it seems uh, from afar uh, to an observer that the IDF is basically in a very good shape. Indeed, it, it does seem that way. And of course, uh, uh, the most uh, um, formidable chariots, in, in biblical terms at least, they were the Philistines, even though there is no connection between the Philistines uh, of back then, uh, which ultimately were overwhelmed. Uh, but having a philosopher partake, who is also a, a general, one of the top generals to uh, partake in this chari uh, chariots of fire, Gelshon Akoen, to what degree is Israel prepared for any scenario as Jerusalem's leadership so meticulously reiterates time and again? Uh, the unique uniqueness of this uh, exercise was the emphasis of chief of staff to take it for one month, what afforded him not only to bring to exercise the procedures, but also the relevant deliberations about what to do in what timing and whether at all to cancel it to another week with better conditions. And just to summarize what really happened, it was an exercise that was really planned to be last year, but was canceled due to the operation in Gaza in May, what was called Shomer Chomot, means the war god. And actually it became excellent because we brought to that exercise all the lessons and tension that Chief of Staff, of, uh, Chief of Staff himself found himself in a debate between himself and the way he led that operation in Gaza last year. And a lot of criticism he got from uh, other officers, including Air Force commanders, the last one. And all of them, all of these lessons came to be examined in this uh, exercise. Much more than that, uh, the awareness about the relevancy of simultaneous fronts acting together and demanding the IDF to create a daily priority among the fronts, it was really came to be exemplified in that exercise. Indeed. General uh, Shafir, I'd like to hear your take on this. And also from an uh, Air Force perspective, of course, there was uh, extensive reporting about uh, the over 100 aircraft partaking in a long distance. Uh, air refueling and, and uh, precision uh, strike uh, somewhere over the Mediterranean. Uh, and uh, it seems like at least uh, many interpreted this as a signal to Iran. Uh, and uh, as one of the pilots who struck the Osirak uh, reactor back in the day in Iraq, uh, of course, the analogies are somewhat different from back then to today. But how do you see the the aerial preparedness uh, following the lessons learned? And of course, we're still in the process of learning more of those lessons from a military perspective. But uh, is this now a process that is going to better prepare Israel for uh, the day in which such an order may be given? Uh, I hate to be a party pooper in this uh, in this manner. There's really no change 
in the Air Force preparedness following this uh, exercise because uh, the scenario is well known, the capabilities are also known, the gaps are known, the gaps are, uh, uh, I would say, uh, have to do with the ability to bring a lot of firepower uh, over a great distance uh, that hasn't changed. Um, so uh, I would say that basically for the Air Force, this is a, uh, um, uh, not to talk about the cooperation with the ground forces, uh, which is a different manner, uh, was a repeat of the exercises that had taken place in the last few years. Um, so uh, leaving that aside, I think part of the uh, uh, reasons that the, this exercise was called upon was a feeling within the uh, armed uh, forces, what we call the green forces, that they have been sidelined um, compared to the Air Force in the last uh, few years or maybe even more. And this exercise allowed uh, the special forces as was uh, talked about uh, Brigade 98 uh, and the type of scenario that was used in Cyprus um, to uh, bolster the confidence of uh, the ground forces and obviously to integrate uh, as well as can be the work between the Air Force, the ground forces, intelligence, and so on. A lot of these exercises depend on the strength of the person who runs the red team and, pre and, and presents problems and uh, hidden agendas behind uh, what we call the red forces. So <clears throat> in order for the uh, exercise to succeed, that person needs to have a strong enough standing so that he can stand against or across the chief of staff. And uh, I don't know whether this took place or not. And uh, I, have, uh, I don't have that information. Maybe Gershon does have. <clears throat> but other than that, this particular exercise is uh, also of a political nature. At this particular time, the political system in Israel is very shaky. And in this manner, uh, our neighbors, and I would only point at the Hezbollah, no, not the other uh, <clears throat> neighbors, uh, might see this as a point of weakness to uh, uh, bring about a sting operation to uh, topple the very delicate political situation in Israel and, and add more pressure, uh, perhaps from the Arab community in Israel. And uh, so I would say that this exercise uh, is also of a political nature to help uh, both the military and the political system uh, show, have a show of force um, via this exercise to the mm -hmm. Israeli public. Uh, and you know who said that uh, Israel has, only has internal politics <laughs> and no external politics. Um, so things have time together. But if you read the, the uh, manuscripts and the way that people talk, um, you can't learn much. It's uh, the usual things that you hear from uh, generals and people who uh, participate in these exercises. We were great, we're much better than we were before. Uh, we've upgraded our, our situation and so on. So I wouldn't take that uh, uh, as anything uh, worth mentioning. I'd like to hear, of course, uh, General uh, Aquin's uh, perspective to this, but uh, initially there was a lot of chatter uh, 
around Israel and from the enemies of Israel with regard uh, to this maneuver and the, uh, the exercise. Of course, it was unprecedented in scale. Uh, and uh, quite frankly, the, the various commanders who partook in this uh, have voiced time and again uh, what also General Shafir noted and also General uh, General uh, that uh, the cooperation between the various branches was sharp and something that ultimately is is very positive. Uh, Mr. Owen, what, what's your take on that? One of the most important uh, features here was the exposure to the political echelon, because uh, who is uh, being exercised? Obviously, it's the general staff which is the nerve center. Um, the chief of general staff in Israel is not a staff officer. Uh, he is not comparable to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs in the United States or the chief of the uh, uh, imperial general staff uh, and so on. He is the commanding officer of the military, of course, subordinate to the cabinet, to the, to the government. But uh, too often in the past, the political leaders were not exposed enough to the problems, even the dilemmas of the military. And it was uh, a very uh, important feature here that the cabinet was shown, was given a presentation that the uh, uh, Foreign Affairs and Security Committee of the Knesset was, was given such a presentation because the, the major dilemma um, in uh, a major campaign or in a war is that uh, General Kohavi or his successors would want to have uh, some more time to elicit their power, to take out all the targets and reach their goals, even while the Israeli population is being hit by missiles and rockets. And there is an outcry from the public to stop the war too soon, perhaps. And the uh, uh, cabinet ministers had to be shown what uh, the generals just now talked about, the sequence, the priorities, the fact that there is a process here, that if you cut it too soon, you didn't achieve anything, and you only paid um, by casualties. And um, just uh, try to go back to 1973. Had Golda Meir and Moshe Dayan and the others been aware of the problems that the military will face if there is a combined simultaneous attack by Egypt and Syria? What should the political leadership do? Israel um, almost never uh, did it. And it started uh, probably with uh, the last chief of staff, Gadi Eisenkot, and now General Kohavi has repeated it, to expose as much as possible the political leadership to military problems. Not only expose, but also uh, having them partake uh, in various simulations. Well, not, not really. There is, there is uh, of course, a stand-in, and General Cohen himself uh, was uh, quite familiar with this role-playing. You take uh, either a national security staff uh, chief, uh, uh, such as General Amidror, who played it, or others, uh, but you don't commit the prime minister or defense ministers themselves to, uh, to say what they will do when uh, a contingency really arises. Indeed. General Cohen, your take? Yes, of course, uh, the description uh, that was given now by Amir was uh, really accurate. And uh, 
to summarize it, actually that's true, that the, the cabinet, the political leaders got an opportunity to learn just concretely what a scenario they had to face in a time of war, and also to learn concretely what really there is in the toolbox of uh, the IDF. But more than that, as it was emphasized by Amir, we have here a very severe tension. All prime ministers from uh, Ben-Gurion, of course, uh, also it was emphasized by Netanyahu, and uh, uh, he, that idea is followed by Prime Minister Bennett, that they want, they are insisting to bring an end to the war very quickly. They want to get a short war, but also they are expecting to get a very, very tremendous uh, achievements. What really could be exemplified in that uh, format training is that we must find the kind of synchronization between, in one side, to make all the effort to make the war short, on the other side, to bring an end to that war with high achievements, and this is absolutely not short. And yet, I can really say that this tension is yet unsolved. Indeed, uh, we all know how many times uh, throughout history uh, it was requoted. so nobody knows who quoted this first, but um, you always know how you enter a war, you never know how you exit it. Uh, General Shafil, when we look at uh, the current geostrategic uh, and geopolitical tensions, uh, the IDF is obviously studying this extensively and, and the various uh, units uh, that are involved in the strategic uh, outlook. Uh, are uh, trying to identify uh, the necessities to, to maintain preparedness and the QME, the qualitative military edge of uh, uh, Israel vis-a-vis -vis its adversaries throughout the region and beyond. Uh, to what degree do you see this, this process of, of course, going through a month of war uh, with uh, multiple um, components that have yet to be seen before, maybe not on a, an aerial scale, but from uh, the other interoperable um, activities that were being taken place through the various arms. Uh, is this something unique uh, from uh, this perspective? And, and to what degree was this then translated to the political echelons in Jerusalem? I think uh, the fact that the, the exercise was a month long is extremely important. Uh, if we uh, take two campaigns uh, and compare our 2006 campaign in Lebanon, where uh, not only were we not prepared for that war, but also uh, the generals rushed under pressure, rushed the forces to enter unprepared uh, into Lebanon and without due cooperation with uh, the intelligence corps. And as a result, we suffered a lot of uh, uh, events that could have been uh, planned in a much better way and be prepared in a better way. Compare that to Desert Storm, where it took the Americans six months to mobilize the forces and get ready for the war before they jumped the gun 
or the gun was was uh, starting gun was shot. I think it was January fifteenth, nineteen ninety one, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So um, these are two different philosophies. I think in this kind of exercise, once you go through the first several days where uh, people make mistakes, after several days the truth comes out. How good is the cooperation between the intelligence and the ground forces and the air force and the liaison officers who have to transfer the, the targets? Um, how well is the system and the processes prepared for surprises uh, that take place within uh, the, the work they do, but also with the red team that actually pulls the strings on the other side. And when you do it for a month, uh, unlike several days where, where you can always excuse yourself because, you know, it just started, we didn't get ready yet, and so on. After a month, things seem to get into um, some kind of a process and the process improves day to day and the lessons learned are, are actually implemented the next day um, and processes do change throughout the exercise. Um, some people tire, you have to bring in um, what we call a second echelon of people who haven't, who go into the uh, manning the positions and have to learn from their predecessors who they, whom they relieve. So this kind of exercise um, is a different strategic effect, post-effect, uh, than the usual exercises that last maybe four or five days. So I think this is something which is extremely important. Uh, I wouldn't give too much uh, credit to the government because in this area, governments tend to change uh, ever so often, so even lessons learned um, in a little while, there will be different people who have to be uh, taught again. But if it worked well with this political group, then maybe the one of the lessons learned is that a new group that may come in next year or the year after will have to go through the motions again in order for them to upgrade their capabilities of decision-making. Well, if every government uh, will have to go through such a motion, we might have such an exercise every year, Mr. Owen. Uh, there is an endless uh, cycle whereby um, uh, the intelligence uh, assessment gives you your threat of reference. Then you have your operational planning to respond to that threat, your doctrine. And then uh, it all comes uh, down to your defense budget because acquisition is involved. It also means, of course, your foreign relations, especially with Washington, because you will need um, reinforcement, uh, materiel, uh, perhaps uh, uh, ammunition, ammunition resupply. Ammunition, yes. of, of course, mm -hmm. you, you will need anti-missile missiles, and, and that, that uh, uh, sharpens the realities for the decision makers. They know in advance that once they make a move, there will be several moves which derive from it. There are about four minutes left for today's program, and I'd like to uh, challenge you with uh, quite the analysis of, of where 
we are heading to it at this stage, of course, with all of the tensions taking place throughout the region and beyond. Um, General Akoen, we'll start with you. How do you identify the current state of play? Is Israel prepared for a next multi-sector war? Israel taking the challenge by the basic awareness that is admitted by chief of staff. He did that in the first days entering to his job, that we cannot just repeat our uh, ordinary way to fight. We must bring a radical change in order to be relevant. And he is working about that in all the last three years. And actually, he brought to that exercise a whole uh, system, very coherently made. And it was really checked in a kind of experimentation that can convince uh, all the rest of uh, the generals in the general staff, and even uh, to the level of battalion commanders, that they must trust that there is here something true. Also, it was uh, an opportunity to check whether at all uh, the quantity of the Israeli forces is enough regarding the challenge of more than one front simultaneously. And really, we will have to look upon that examination. And it is not only uh, how many divisions and brigades we have, it is also how many ammunition we have in the stores for the Air Force. Actually, it could be ended very quickly. Immediately, we are dependent upon new supply from the United States. So we, had a lo- we got a lot of considerations to ask ourselves, not only how we really uh, planning ourselves to fight, but also the main question whether at all uh, we have the enough necessary conditions uh, to really fulfill it with success. Indeed. General Shafir, you have about one minute. I think one of the uh, uh, things, that what we call a white elephant in the room, is how are we going to uh, withstand a massive rocket attack from Hezbollah on Israel? And uh, until further notice, which is when the uh, laser beam uh, killer uh, uh, weapon is ready to be deployed on a, on a uh, wide scale, uh, the Israeli public should be prepared to suffer some, uh, uh, not only casualties, but also uh, some hits to uh, strategic targets. Uh, I will not da- name them at this time. Um, this had not been exposed well enough to the Israeli public, but I'm sure that the government is aware of this. And uh, this obviously uh, takes a lot of effort to take care of when you compare it to other strategic needs that Israel will have to uh, come by. So I think this is something missing, at least in the the public arena, and we need to address that in the uh, coming months and years. The real question, which was not uh, tested here, is what is the political, the diplomatic framework and context which Israel is going uh, to go into war for and uh, how it is going to come out of it? Well, that's all the time there were for today. So I'd like to thank General Hakohen, General Shafir and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. 
For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.